Hello. Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone blicker blicker. <laughs> All right, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Turning of the Bones podcast. How is it going out there? How y'all doing? I hope this finds you well. If you're on a walk, if you're in your car, if you're in your house, if you're on a plane, if you're on a train, if you're here, if you're there, if you're anywhere, welcome. Turning of the Bones podcast. It's so nice to be here. I'm your host, Colby Marie. We are we're approaching a year of this. I have been blessed by my Spotify podcaster update and six of you out there listen to this podcast more than any other. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I've got over 30 episodes now plugging away at this. It's I don't know, it's exciting. It's a little a little overwhelming to think that I'm in the the downhill towards having 52 episodes out in a row by grace, by luck, doing that, still paying rent somehow, stitching it together with all these odd jobs and just out here trying to do this uh, late stage capitalism hustle where I'm trying to find meaning in a world where it seems to be a little bit challenging to find. Jobs are tough. Families are tough. The world just looks insane. I mean, this fucking abortion thing is just blowing my mind. We live in a country that can't provide everybody health care or regulate assault rifles that let 17-year-olds off the hook for gunning down protesters, property over people. And we're going to just control women's bodies. We're going to control, control queer and trans bodies a little bit longer because it's really all about power. And yeah, two, uh, two people on the Supreme Court with, you know, histories of sexual abuse, just, just plugging away, just making it a little bit hard to believe in anything. We've got global warming. So I'm glad we've got each other. I'm glad we can sit down and have these chats and process this adventure, this uh, daunting journey through the caverns of our own minds and hearts, navigating the world around us. So yeah, welcome. Um, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is, it's strange here in Denver. It's been about 50 degrees for about ever. It's, you know, almost this two weeks into December we still don't have any snow bit of a drought going on here in the mountains global warming uh, yeah 
just living in some pretty surreal times. I've got a little window here, so we're going to try to get this podcast in. On my block there, there's a city project ripping up a bunch of sidewalks and redoing this parking lot. And so at about 7 o'clock every morning, we start with trucks and jackhammers and concrete saws. And so I think I might have timed the lunch break so I could get this in this week. And I've got an ambitious podcast planned for us, and we'll see where we get. It's a, it's a sweeping topic. I alluded to it last week when I kind of gave the worldview, the lens through which I'm operating, putting this podcast out. Um, So I wanted to talk about, I started looking into it, I want to talk about family systems theory, healing the inner, well, I wanted to talk about healing the inner child and then I started thinking about it. And it's a pretty big topic. There's a lot of background knowledge that we're going to need for a working understanding of uh, healing the child within. And if you've been in therapy, you might be aware of this concept. If you've been, if you've read The Body Keeps the Score about how somatic healing works and that trauma is stored in the nervous system and the body, deeper parts of our subconscious. Um, If you've worked in schools or anywhere with trauma-informed care. This is a big topic, and I think I'm excited because I think it's a good time of year for it because it's the holidays here in America. We just had Thanksgiving, and now we have uh, Christmas, Hanukkah, other end-of-year celebrations, the solstice coming up, and an increased chance that you're going to be spending some time with your family of origin caregivers, siblings, uh, seeing old friends, and it's interesting, everybody I've talked to, since I've been an adult, there's always this, uh, you know, I've talked about the stress of transitions, but there's also the stress of going back and being around family during the holidays, because there's some interesting things that happen there, like you've left the home, you've gone out, you've continued to develop your identity, And then you go home and you somehow regress into old patterns. Your parents still see you as a child and haven't gone on that growth journey with you for whatever reason. And so it's easy to slip back into old roles, uh, getting re-triggered by unhealthy patterns. And so I think, you know, it's just a, a nice time of year to sit down and have a chat about the little child within. And so without further ado, I'm going to jump right in because this is a big topic. There's a lot here. I might break this into two episodes. We will see, but there's some background knowledge, and the background knowledge we need to have is important so that we have a framework from which to view the child within. And also, I think it's important for this because this one... This episode felt the most like a lesson as I planned it. Kind of went back into teaching mind. And the goal here is basic human sanity. I've heard this referred to a lot of different ways. There's basic human sanity. uh, There's human adulthood. There's real human presence. And what I think 
all of those have in common is that there's kind of an equanimity of emotional response when you're in real human presence or basic sanity and your frontal lobe is online, you're able to rationally see things and you're not kind of getting swept away by your feelings, your emotions, you're not getting, uh, you know, your behaviors aren't being hijacked by trauma responses or also known as being triggered where you have the memory of something traumatic resurface in your psyche or your brain or your nervous system or your body and then all of a sudden you're behaving out of alignment with how you typically behave in other adult relationships and so the goal here and I think a huge goal for me in my life has been doing the work to become an adult and I'm not talking about an adult who can pay their bills there's this new romanticized and kind of I think really tragic fetishization of like oh I'm adulting like I went to Target and got paper towels and I'm adulting and I can pay my bills and I dressed myself and I did my chores it's like okay that's like yeah it's all well and good you know having basic health and hygiene skills rudimentary finance uh, the ability to pay I'm not diminishing any of that those are all really hard skills to attain but they're also this kind of middle-class white bullshit that really kind of annoys me now because I don't think that most of the people who think of themselves as adults are really adults I think that most people are trapped in adolescence and I referred to this in the podcast previously and I've, I've referred to it as an observation from my time in teaching and the goal of this podcast is to help us become actual human adults who are present uh, that's a goal for me and if you get that from this podcast then great but the goal of this episode is you know some skills and a framework through which to work towards uh, limiting those times <clears throat> where your behaviors don't align with kind of how you see yourself and so I think it's important first to pause and talk about what trauma is I first heard about trauma when I was working in a treatment facility and I've come to refine my definition um, but a trauma is something that can happen that is deeply it's defined in the dictionary as a, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience and so I think we're coming <clears throat> excuse me we're coming to a new definition of trauma where we don't see it as like oh you were in a car accident or you were in war it's like little traumas and big traumas can kind of happen over the course of a life but you experience fear abandonment rejection shame helplessness and if you need to go back and listen to the first couple podcasts where I talk about fear, those things that we're all kind of universally afraid of, when they arise, they can create a trauma. And so there's like people refer to it as capital T trauma, where it's like, yeah, I was attacked on the street walking home, or sexual trauma, or, uh, you know extreme poverty 
Um, there, well, that's kind of more the second one. People refer to it as little t trauma. I don't really like the big t, little t thing, but we'll just use it here because it's kind of common. Little t traumas are like little things that happen. Uh, you get dumped, your partner cheats on you. Uh, there's environmental trauma that kind of last long periods of time, like uh, racial, uh, racial trauma, poverty, uh, growing up in an alcoholic family. You can experience big T trauma and you can experience long-term trauma, like you didn't know if you were gonna have food or your caregiver was really erratic. And so trauma is something I've come to believe that it, it's something disturbing or distressing that creates a lack of safety or fear. That your psyche and your nervous system, like your nervous system feels it, so you're afraid. And your psyche holds on to it and changes its behaviors in an attempt to prevent this from happening again. And so like if you're a little kid and you're feeling all good, you're playing with your toys and you run into the, to the living room and your dad's sitting there drinking a beer, watching the game and you're like happy and you jump on the couch and you spill the chips and your dad is drunk and just loses his shit on you. Um, yells at you, maybe slaps you, shames you, all of a sudden your body, you know, goes from being an open and happy child to fight or flight immediately. And so your psyche holds on to those things by small measure or large measure. And you create, you know, you start to change the way that you relate to yourself reality, the world, and others, and it, it shapes your behaviors and beliefs. And so I learned about this idea of samskara and studying with a teacher of mine. And this is a, a, a term from India. Lots of philosophical traditions in India use this. And this, I liked it a little bit better because I feel like trauma is a bit of a loaded term here, especially when you try to talk about it intergenerationally, because if you talk to someone who experienced the Great Depression or World War II, they're like, you don't know what fucking trauma is. And if you talk to the children, like baby boomers, who experienced, uh, you know, tons of emotional neglect and their own kinds of trauma, and you say, you know, it was so hard for me that you didn't do blank and blank. They're like, you don't know what trauma is. And so I think kind of taking the charge out of the word trauma I think we all have imprints, and in Sanskrit, this is called a samaskara. They're mental impressions or memories in your nervous system or your physical body. I've mentioned the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and these kind of create the lenses through which you see the world, these imprints, these these memories of of, of distressing events uh, memories of like good events too like create you know attachment and uh, addiction so it's not just a negative thing I like the idea of kind of taking a positive negative out of this they're just they're imprints from your childhood that stick with you that go into forming uh, your personality they form the way that you create relationships other people, whether they're friendships or romantic, intimate relationships, they shape how you relate to your family, to authority figures, 
You know, these are formed in school, they're formed with your family, they're formed with your friends, and they kind of manifest as tendencies or impulses, uh, subliminal impressions, habitual, habitual behaviors, and like your kind of like innate disposition. And so, to give an example, um, in my childhood, I, in my child mind, was under the belief that I needed to care give for others to receive love. And the details of where that came from are irrelevant. It's kind of uh, a di uh, a patterning that has happened inside of my awareness where I feel like if I'm really good and I show up and I like clean the house or I listen to mom when she's upset or I you know make sure that I don't do anything to upset dad I'm doing things that then will get me love and then that creates kind of the balance or exchange for how I relate to other people or it has most of my life and those are all from like little moments that happened over and over again as a child. And as we get older, some of these things, like an obvious example is uh, a war veteran who hears fireworks on the 4th of July and becomes kind of what we call triggered and triggered is when you have something that reminds you of the traumatic event then kind of sends you into your amygdala the part of your brain that doesn't understand time and that is the emotional center and then you're kind of right back in it and so another great example of this is like uh, like we can probably all relate to one about the pandemic you know quarantine and lockdown you could have a feeling of loneliness now and you remember like winter coming and the idea of being indoors again has been really scary for a lot of people because of how long and how traumatic it was when we were on lockdown. And so that's kind of like a, a, a sign that you're experiencing something that takes you out of your frontal lobe where you're rational, you're grounded, you have a pretty steady disposition and then all of a sudden you're you know your heart's beating faster your breath might be a little shorter and you're what is called triggered and it's basically like having two moments happen simultaneously it's really confusing for people um, but you can kind of you can cultivate an awareness around this um, you know if, if something comes up and you're kind of irrationally angry or irritable about it. You're, I once heard a teacher say, there's no such thing as overreacting. You're always having the, the perfect response to what's happening in the moment. And if it seems like you're overreacting, you're probably experiencing uh, or revisiting a trauma or you're triggered. And so you could be bothered by small things. You could be easily overstimulated. Uh, kind of edgy like you don't want to be touched uh, lights and noises bother you and then anger is kind of uncontrollable it just erupts um, you have unexplained changes in moods sudden sudden changes low mood sadness uh, 
seeking disruption, novelty, or change, kind of constantly distracting or numbing yourself. You could feel hopeless, thoughts of worthlessness. Um, you could feel foggy or distracted, blurry, um, disconnected from time and place, confusion, forgetting things kind of don't recognize yourself in the mirror. You kind of feel like you're having an out-of-body experience. Uh, you could have very specific flashbacks or nightmares or intrusive thoughts. Oh my God, I used to, when I was experiencing extreme anxiety, I would have these intrusive thoughts like, what if, <clears throat> what if I just started killing people? It was just like, I, like I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, And it was just like, it came really from nowhere. Like I had no ill intention towards anybody. I was just so afraid of losing people that I loved um, or afraid of being abandoned or neglected that my psyche started creating thoughts <laughs> that kind of mirrored that. And I would get triggered quite frequently with the thought of just like, oh, I'm going to lose this person, um, which really goes back to early childhood abandonment and neglect and emotional starvation. Uh, you could also have anxiety, ruminating thoughts, uh, intrusive thoughts about death or rejection, jumpiness, over-intellectualization, so understanding things without feeling. You could have trouble sleeping. So there's lots of signs uh, that you might be triggered. And working with a therapist is really helpful for this. You can kind of, everyone's unique here and how... The trauma manifests in your body. Um, some people can disassociate and get really silent. You know, it's basically you go into fight, flight, or freeze, or appease. So you can also go into people-pleasing, uh, which I've done. I've been so afraid I'd lose people that I would please others at large cost to myself or my own mental, emotional well-being. Uh, which I'm proud to report I've kind of quit doing. It's like a fucking therapy miracle. Um, I still have moments, but pretty solid in like uh, take care of myself and not self-sacrificing in unhealthy ways, which has been a really interesting journey. Maybe I'll do a do a podcast on that someday. Who knows? I've got this great format here. <laughs> um, and so trauma are these imprints. Uh, everybody experiences this. This isn't, you know, fear doesn't discriminate. Um, and we all, for the most part, have a pretty similar, you know, there are variants, but we all have different, uh, we all have pretty similar nervous systems, you know, brain chemicals work similarly in most people. I'm not, you know, trying to exclude people or be ableist, but like for the most part, fear works the same in all humans. And so does trauma. Like I used to think that, you know, only, you know, really marginalized people or people in other countries experience trauma and then you know there's like this idea of the trauma olympics like well you don't have it as bad as them so why are you complaining it's like let's just fucking clear the playing board we all had shitty stuff happen to us and it's it's in us it's like something that we can be with and heal and that's kind of the goal of getting to this inner child work is that you can go back and now that you're an adult who can pay their bills and clean their, you know, kitchen, you can kind of go back and take care of your own little child um, from those times where parents weren't 
capable or available to help you or actually did abusive harm to you. And so trauma, these imprints, they're in all of us. We've all had moments of rejection. We've all had moments of shame. We've all, you know, hopefully we all haven't been shamed, but we've all maybe felt shame like we're not good enough. You know, I mean, I don't see how anybody could make it out of high school in America without having some kind of shame. Um, whether it's from teachers or other students or capitalism putting us in like a hierarchical order and telling us that some people are going to be successful and other people's are going to die in fucking gutters. I can't tell you how many students I had who explicitly told me that the message they got from teachers in school was that they were going to be a failure. And that sucks. And so we all have trauma. Like, let's just clear the fucking playing field. This is about you getting the skills to go back and tend to that because it's nobody else's responsibility. Part of basic sanity for me is taking accountability over my feelings, my moods, my actions, my behaviors. Like, I take accountability over my inner state. That's one of the few things I can, like, work towards equilibrium with. I don't think I can control it because at any moment something could happen. So everything is kind of out of your control, but you can kind of get to an equilibrium where if something bad does happen, maybe you don't lose your shit or you're still fairly aware and present. And so I think that this is kind of the task and should be the shit we're teaching kids at a very young age and unfortunately we're not and we've got a society full of children and if you don't think that's true I want you to look at our governments there are children making decisions about women's bodies about health care about guns and it's insane so it's actually you know with the way that I look at the world, it's like actually makes more sense that shit is so fucked up because we have a bunch of emotionally immature human beings running the world. And this isn't like to put gen uh, baby boomers on blast. <laughs> I just saw the, uh, went down a wormhole with the okay boomer meme, which is hilarious, but there is a bit of a generational war going on. And so I don't want it this to be a part of like, we're just going to blame the boomers for, the fall of the failures of capitalism and environmental collapse like yes there's accountability and yeah maybe there have been some psychological studies that show that baby boomers are actually more narcissistic than gen zers and gen xers and millennials um if you want to look that up go look it up because i read a lot about it and all that to say and their children running our governments and what we're getting and what we're seeing are the results of childish psyches making decisions for others. And so I think for me, I want to, I want to be responsible for myself. And then if other good things happen, like we create a fair and just society, then great. I don't have any delusion that that's going to happen in mass. Uh, it takes a lot of work to do what I'm talking about to become aware of these things it's not pretty or easy it's quite messy and in a lot of ways it can look like 
falling apart or losing your shit, but it's actually, I think, falling together. And so, we've got trauma. I think we've got a working definition of the imprints that happen, uh, the ways in which our body can let us know that we're, we're triggered, and yeah, so you've got all these traumas, right? They could have happened at school, but you've also got this other thing operating, and this is really fascinating. It's, it's based off of systems theory, which looks at uh, the pieces of the, the parts within the whole and how they all kind of function together. And a good example of this is like, you'll hear about like, oh no, the, you know, Alabama River slug is endangered and that is threatening the whole ecosystem because the Alabama River slug cleans up this one kind of algae that if it doesn't clean up, it'll kill all the fish, then they'll kill all the birds. Or reintroducing wolves into, into Yellowstone like restored the balance of that ecosystem. So family systems theory basically believes and puts forth that each family and the family that you grew up in, it doesn't have to be your biological family, but the, the, the system that you grew up in um, like you are a part of the whole family and everybody in the family plays a role in maintaining that emotional ecosystem. So I'm just going to pause there and I want you just to think about the emotional ecosystem of your family. You know, families have lots of shit to do. They have to eat, clean, have houses, have jobs, get to school. So there's emotional kind of footnotes and shortcuts that you learn as you grow up in a family about how to navigate that with as little stress as possible. And there's no right way to do it. I mean, just if you think about like dating and meeting another family and being like, oh, that's the way they do shit. Oh, they're not like my family. Oh, my family does it like this. Oh, I don't like that. I might try to learn something new. Like maybe you've had that, maybe you haven't. Um, but basically family systems believe that individuals must be viewed as a part of their family of origin that that's where we get our beliefs, we get our values, that's where we learn how to attach to other humans and have healthy or unhealthy relationships. That's where we learn how to communicate. It's where we learn how to emotionally process or work through our feelings. It's where we learn how to get our needs met physically, emotionally. Um, and it's where we develop our sense of self. You know, we, we, we learn all that shit from our parents or in our family of origin. And, you know, for people, it's theorized for people who are shown lots of love, have safety and security, that they're more well-adjusted, they'll be more successful, they have a solid sense of self. And for people who had dysfunctional families with alcohol or poverty or, um, abuse like those it, it's more challenging for those humans to move forward in life with the kind of internal beliefs and the internal frameworks for how to navigate the world that lead to a kind of you know quote unquote successful life and you know Erickson put forth these stages of developments where you get you learn trust you learn autonomy you learn initiative you learn industry 
you get your identity, you learn about intimacy, and all of those things kind of happen in the microcosm or the organism of the family. And as you get older, maybe you've had this experience, you kind of look at what worked, look at what didn't, kind of scrap what didn't work, maybe go to therapy, maybe just don't do it anymore. Um, but I think, you know, when I, I remember having this realization a while ago that I looked at my parents and I looked at their grandparents and I looked at their beliefs, or at least the ones I could intuitively, like, you know, the beliefs that I got from my parents, seen and heard about the beliefs that were passed down to them from their parents. It's like my dad's family, incredibly hardworking, you know, just hardworking. So at a very young age, I learned the value of hard work. I mean, I started working. I had a paper out when I was super young. I helped neighbors with paint jobs. Um, I painted like an entire condo for my dad when I was like 16 or 17 and did a horrible job. Like, why wouldn't I? Nobody taught me how to paint. But anyhow, the value of hard work was something I learned. Um, loyalty something I learned from my mother's family like they're incredibly loyal to one another the, the family system was a source of strength and it's how they navigated lots of difficult challenging circumstances and so you learn these things inside of the organism of your family and looking at you know how they'd grown and what they'd gotten from their parents they hadn't like kept everything you know like sure my grandpas were racist as fuck maybe my grandma's too i mean i know my grandmother was like i just have heard her say stuff that i would be appalled if she was still alive today like just thinking about stuff i heard her say my like she told us we were like she she colonized everybody we were related to like fucking harriet tubman we were related to pocahontas we were like incredibly racist stuff that like i've seen my mother and my father like it's like to a lesser degree they've let go of some of those beliefs adopted some of their own uh you know the ways in which my parents loved were probably more healthy than the ways in which their parents loved and so we kind of you know i do believe it's true that each generation tries to do a little bit better and looking at the family as an organism for how you learned it i think gives us a really useful framework for going back and working with the inner child because that inner child experienced all of those things within the context of its family of origin and so the family of origin the family systems theory it's holistic um, it's like you can't isolate or look at one part. You have to look at how the whole organism communicated, how it operated. And yeah, everything I've said, just kind of looking through my notes here, because this is a huge topic. Like we all have negative coping skills, whether it's overdoing which like actually gets you a lot of social praise but can lead to burnout or stress or fatigue. There's substance abuse. There's, you know, I mean, so many things can come from your family of origin. And that leads us to being able to go back and help that inner child. 
going to pause here for a little promotional break. Then we're going to come back with the inner child stuff. This is a listener-supported, crowdfunded podcast. So if you can, please head over to the Patreon, www forward slash wait www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones you can uh, leave me you know anything a month helps it helps me go it, it keeps my it keeps my spirits up about this podcast it helps somebody who can't pay for it get this for free uh, you can donate you know the price of a cup of coffee or a beer or a glass of wine if you're getting something at all from this, you know, think about donating once a month and keeping these small podcasts going. Like the market's getting flooded with these huge names. And if not me, then somebody else. So www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. You can also share this on social media. It's so helpful. Get the word out there. Help the algorithms boost this podcast. Leave a review on iTunes follow subscribe just anywhere you can really helps um, go to the website www.turningofthebones.com take a look over there and we're just going to keep this thing going and so without further ado we're going to get into this inner child business have a little sip of coffee a little pull off this vape Still off the SIGs, which is a, a good thing. I think I'm at like three months now. Wait, no, September, October, four months. Still going. Um, so Charles Whitfield, my mom gave me this book quite a while ago and I didn't read it. And I've flipped through it a few times now. I've, I've learned some of this stuff from other people. I went back and revisited the book healing the child within it's definitely worth a look it's got some uh i wouldn't say problematic but some hiccups in it but for the most part it's a really really solid framework for looking at the journey of healing and becoming an actual human adult an emotionally stable resilient person that isn't hijacked by their emotions or their traumas quite frequently and so Basically, the, the concept of healing the inner child rests on this idea that there is a true self, which is who the child is essentially. Kind of, you know, we're all tuned a certain way. Uh, the Enneagram points to this too, that we all kind of have an innate disposition and that expresses itself early on. And then we have a false self that has been propped up in order to protect the true self. Um, so basically the, the true self or the child kind of there's, they go into hiding because it no longer feels safe to be their authentic self. And so the false self comes online to mind the mind. It starts policing behaviors. Uh, it starts policing emotions. It starts understanding how to get its needs met in healthy and unhealthy ways. And basically, it's it's kind of like 
I would say that after doing years of this work, it's basically the bulk of your identity structure. <laughs> it's honestly like very few of us make it out of childhood or school with access to our true self. And I think you can maybe think about a time that you've been just so overjoyed and like, you know, you could be in the flow state dancing or making art or doodling or being silly with a friend or just kind of being hopelessly, you know, awed by a sunset. And I think that's kind of like, those are, those are manifestations of the, the true self in my experience. And most of the shit is just overlays of the false self on top of that. Um, there's like this huge dissatisfaction, right? Like, Think of the dissatisfaction of like finally getting the job you want, being able to take care of yourself, having your apartment, and somehow there's still something missing. There's still something that doesn't feel quite right. Um, and basically the false self comes online because parents and caregivers can't be safe all the time. And this is a spectrum, you know, some people you know, I would say who grow up in alcoholic or abusive families, you know, experience, you know, more of the ill effects of this than someone who grows up with a safe and secure household. And this false self kind of comes online because the, the, the child mind doesn't understand reality. And it thinks that it's causing these things and so the child mind thinks that if it adjusts its behavior that those things will stop happening and then it starts getting evidence that that's the case you know when i when i don't do behavior x i don't get yelled at okay i'm going to quit doing behavior x and behavior x could be anything it could be asking for a hug you know an easy one would be like if I ask for a hug and my parent is super anxious or emotionally unavailable and they can't give me the love and support that I need in that moment then I think that uh, I should stop asking for hugs or asking for touch um, and so any this can come online in any any number of ways and like I said it's a spectrum we all have some degree of this going on in us at all times and a huge healing thing for me is to, been to go back and retrieve those pieces of myself and, and maybe if you're listening to this you're like oh I don't even remember my childhood you know, it was so fucked up. I don't remember it. And I don't think that's uncommon. There were years and years that I didn't remember anything from my childhood. My sister would tell me stories and I'd be like, I don't remember that. And I think it was because I was in a constant state of anxiety or trauma response. And so my, my memory, I wasn't able to record some of those memories because of the level of stress I was feeling in my body at all times. And I don't think that's uncommon. But I do want to tell you that by small measure, you can go back and retrieve and access those parts and kind of, you know, bring yourself home. Uh, I, I say in this podcast, we're all just walking each other home. And I think a huge piece of that is going back and 
helping the child who, to no fault of their own, didn't understand reality and thought that they were the cause of the entire universe. Like, when you're a kid, you don't understand causality. Um, you don't understand that there are other autonomous beings making decisions or going through things. You think that, uh, you know, if I cry, if I'm hungry, I cry. If I cry, I get fed. If I get fed, I feel safe and secure. I get held, I get full, I rest, I feel okay. I caused all of that. As like in the child mind, like you cause all of that. You create the whole thing. There's no like mom who decides to put down the the laundry she's working on or like the taxes she's finishing or the bookshelf she's building or whatever to feed you, you know. You think that like all of that is caused from inside of you. So you have a lot of misperceptions that that follow you into adulthood about the way the world works. And they can't be unlearned by thinking. These things live in the body. And so the true self, um, you can go back and kind of reaccess that. And that's kind of this idea of doing inner child work. Um, and Charles Whitfield, you know, said that there's kind of a way that you can do this and it takes honesty so if you're not capable of being honest with yourself or others you're probably going to struggle at this and I know there's certain diagnosis and certain psyches out there who really struggle with honesty and accountability um, you have to be able to be true with yourself you have to be able to true with safe others and this is a really important point with safe others you know the reason why the false self came online is because you tried to be true to yourself with people who were unsafe. You know, I tried to be a child with an unsafe father. And so I walked away from that like there was something wrong with me. And so going to, you know, it's like going to the hardware store for milk. You're going to keep getting the same shit if you try to do this. If you try to like truly, you know, think about like you know, gender or sexuality. If you come out as gay with unsafe people, you know, conversion therapy is still a thing. There are people who will abuse you for being your true self. So it's really important that you find a community of safe others, um, whether it's sexuality or inner child work, <clears throat> a therapist, a trauma-focused group therapy, bibliotherapy, which is basically journal journaling, and uh, being real with, you know, a higher power or a god or goddess of your understanding. It doesn't have to be Christian. It doesn't, if you want to scrap that whole thing, I think that was pulled from Alcoholics Anonymous. But you, you have to be real with yourself, safe others, and, and some, some protective power in the universe. Um, and you have to acknowledge, you know, what happened happened to you. You have to allow yourself to feel the pain and anger and betrayal. You have to look at the nature of the abuse. Um, you have to talk to people about this. And you have to someday come to the, the, the realization that your parents probably suffered this abuse too. You know, this isn't like a, a Disney villain story from the 80s. You know, hurt people hurt people. And. You know, working through this, I would say one of the side effects is 
expanding compassion and expanding empathy because you realize that the things that your parents taught you or did to hurt you were probably done to them and they were learned behaviors within their family of origin and that being said it doesn't mean that you welcome in unsafe people you can still have really firm boundaries with unsafe people but it gives you kind of a at least for me it's given me like a contextual understanding of the things that I experienced and going back and kind of like being with your inner child you know being with their pain being with their joy to me has really created a rich sense of healing inside of my heart and I think they're like there's so many ways that you can get in touch with this you know you can cultivate self-awareness by identifying when you're triggered or if you're regressing if you know you're like holy shit I feel like I'm fucking 16 what's going on here um you could stop and ask yourself some questions, you know, like, oh, I was just really calm and then all of a sudden I'm in a rage or all of a sudden I feel like I'm outside of my body. So you can work with a therapist to develop self-awareness techniques. You can begin to kind of self-identify. Like, I'll never forget the first time, like, I needed a safe friend for this moment. I, I, I got super triggered. I don't remember what did it, but... I was like laying on the floor in my apartment. I was like nonverbal. I was like, I couldn't find why I was scared. You know, I've been to therapy and, you know, I was like laying on my back and like rocking and eventually I like crawled and called a friend and they were like, holy shit, I think, you know, I've had this before and I've worked through it with my therapist. You're having uh, a trauma response from when you were pre-verbal. You know, you didn't have thoughts. You didn't have words to put to it. This happened when you were an infant. And I was like, holy shit, holy shit. And then I started working with somatic therapists to like be able to identify those things more. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a really wild ride for some people. Um, but I think it's worth it. And what's cuter? Like, let's just pause. Like, what's cuter than going back and hanging out with your little kid self? I mean, I have like three or four pictures of myself when I was really little around my apartment just to remind myself why I'm doing this. Like, I wouldn't be hard on a kid the way that I'm hard on myself as an adult. Um, and so reminding myself of that, having visual reminders that the work I'm doing is to heal that little kid is super important for me. Um, excuse me, I forgot to plug in my computer. Um, you can meditate, you know, which isn't always useful for everybody. People with more intense trauma struggle with meditation. You can pray, uh, therapy, journaling. Now, a really fun one is taking your little kid's self out on dates. I learned this from a dear friend. Like, some days when I was really in the thick of doing this work, I would like go to Target and just look at the kids' toys just by myself and like whatever little version of me. And I would kind of like let my brain go to where it wanted to and I'd buy myself the toy that I want. Uh, I, would, I would like take myself out for ice cream. I would, oh my God, I can't tell you how many times I ate mac and cheese and chicken nuggets during this this work like I would give myself the food I wanted to have when I was little I would tell myself the things I wanted to hear when I was little and piece by piece it's like really you feel yourself coming home you feel this true self like 
this has impacted my relationships with others, my relationship with my gender, my relationship with my sexuality, my relationship with my creativity, my relationship with, with work and expression. And this is like, I don't know, it's really, I just think it's a beautiful blessing that we have these modalities to kind of go back so we can integrate the pieces that we weren't able to integrate as a child and we're able to make ourselves whole again and it's really important you know if, if you go on this journey to remember that healing and growth aren't linear like this is going to be like a zigzaggy curly cue up and down line like you're going to think you're doing better and then you're going to have a regression and you think you're through something and then it comes back and it's like it, it takes some patience but I think once you start and you get a sense of how important this work is at least I did it just becomes it becomes the kindest thing you can do for yourself you can go back and be the adult that you needed and I can't stress enough how, how important it is to do this work with safe people or people that have done it or people that are doing it you know having a therapy group or a therapist you know this can lead you to like changing your friend groups like this can lead to really cataclysmic shifts in your 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 relationship to your parents and your siblings because breaking those old patterns and those old habits takes time you know you have to form new neural pathways you have to learn new skills and this can look like not talking to people for a while. This can look like setting boundaries or fights. But like that's all part of the fucking process. That's all. That's all. It's all part of the ride. And I don't want to. I don't want to continue to not understand the origins of my behaviors or my emotions or the patterns of uh, conditioning that I got from society. There's like a really great list that uh, Kristen Foltz gave in a TED talk about working with the inner child. And it, I think affirmations are really important for this, like verbal affirmations, saying these things out loud, like looking at your little self looking at a picture of you when you were a child and saying I give you permission to heal I give you permission to forgive yourself and others I honor our journey together I love you thank you for all that you've survived you know these it's important not to demonize the ways in which you you coped or like psychologically adjusted to survive fucked up shit it's really important that you like really see that as like you know, your, your little kid self was protecting you the best way it knew how. And like, what a, what a blessing that is. Even if you wound up hooked on heroin or alcoholic, like, you know, those things were all coping mechanisms and things that you learned from other people, you know, those were all you doing the best that you could. You know, I truly believe that everyone is doing the best they can with the tools that they were given and 
You know, being hard on little kids is just shitty, you know? We have a pretty... pretty abundant society at this point and you know those old dangers that we learned hundreds and hundreds of years ago and like the they're just not as necessary anymore and so we can kind of a new rite of passage should be like figuring out how to love the little kid that you were and how to forgive yourself and how to forgive others and just going in and kind of reclaiming those pieces that those parts of yourself as a kid who understandably couldn't understand what was going on and understandably made decisions to stay safe and to get their needs met the way that they knew how and so yeah working with the inner child it's just like I can't think of anybody I'd rather hang out with than little kid me I mean seriously I was fucking awesome I was just a ball of joy and delight and a ray of sunshine and caring and carefree and like you can we can reaccess that as a, as you know as we get older and still take out the garbage because we learned how to do it it's really not that hard a skill most of the things we call adulting are not that hard of skills like the real adult work is to go back and heal these pieces so that we don't treat others like confused and confusing jerks and we're not confused and continuously hijacked by our emotions and so yeah that's my inner child talk right in time for the holidays um you know and if you backslide with your family it's that's part of the gig you know i'm going home for christmas and i'm sure that i'll have shit come up being around my mom and my aunt and my sister uh, things are going to come up but that's like a ripe time to be like hey What's going on? Where are the juicy edges here? What are the things that uh, need some addressing? Because, like Guru Mai said, my favorite teachers, if, if it calls your awareness, it demands your attention. Or wait, if it calls your attention, it demands your attention? Something like that. Um, so yeah, good luck this holiday season. Get these uh, conversations out there. I'm going to try to record a conversation about... Uh, into life stuff with my aunt maybe my mom is uh they approach uh, their 80s getting older so yeah i hope you all uh yeah have a good week doing whatever you're doing take care of yourself take care of one another pet an animal go get some sunshine go hug a tree be well bones. bye now